0: What's up everybody? My name is Andrew East and you are listening to Redirected. This is a show where we sit down with celebrities, athletes, entrepreneurs, really anybody that has had significant unexpected life events. Some people call them pivots, I call them redirections and we are here to find out how you can make it through those and how you can prepare yourself for those unexpected events. Today we sit down with Michaela Schifrin, and Michaela is an Olympic gold medalist. She's a world champion. She's one of the most decorated alpine skiers ever in history, and you're going to love the stories and words of advice that she has to share. If you want to find out more about Michaela, you can find that in the description down below. Be sure to check her out on Instagram and give her some love. Without further ado, let's jump into this one with Michaela Schifrin. Michaela how are you doing today? I'm doing well how are you doing? (laughs) Good thank you for taking the time to talk with me.
1: Yeah thank you I'm psyched.
0: The fans are super pumped you got to be a fan favorite on the Instagram people are like I do always do fan questions you better get ready for them because they give some heavy hitters so.
1: Oh yeah I'm sure.
0: Yeah (laughs) I want to start off here and word on the street is you have pretty good eyebrow control. Yes I do. Wow. I mean, it's just like, <laughs> that's amazing. Is this no, something it's, pra- <laughs>
1: that's something in practice. No, I, well, actually now it is, which is embarrassing. No, when I was young, I just always used my eyebrows a lot and I don't know why, but as I got older, I noticed that there's this thing called eyebrow dancing. It's like a, it's a thing now. Like you can look it up on YouTube. Trust me, you will deep dive into YouTube.
0: Okay, all right. Um,
1: Eyebrow dances and people just sitting there not moving their bodies and they're just like moving their eyebrows to the beat of a song and it's very creepy. I can't do that, but the first time I saw one of those videos, I don't like spend all day watching eyebrow dancing videos, by the way. (laughs) (laughs) But I have seen
0: one or two. Starting anyway, off on a weird note here with the eyebrow dancing.
1: It's only going to get
0: weirder. <laughs> it reminds me, have you ever seen any of these ASMR videos? Maybe. Do you know what I'm talking about? The people that like, they whisper into Yes. Oh, yes. People are oh, into it. It's weird. Yeah. I yeah. haven't
1: seen them myself and know what you're talking about. Don't love it. It's like the sound of like crackling in a voice and like whispering and breathing all together.
0: Or people will eat super close yeah. and it's kind of, oh. yeah, I, the internet's a weird place for sure. It is a
1: weird place. really. Weird. Or soap cutting. You think that's like a bad thing? It's literally just taking a knife and cutting bars of soap and it's supposed to be like relaxing. The sound is relaxing or something.
0: Huh. I've never heard of yeah. soap cutting.
1: The name sounds like something bad. <laughs> It's not, yeah. it's okay. really, literally, that's what it is.
0: <laughs> All right. Do you spend a lot of time on YouTube?
1: No, not a time. I mean, well, I spend a fair amount of time on YouTube. It's like what I do before I go to bed. If I'm wound up from the day, then I'll watch funny YouTube videos probably my favorite is Jenna Marbles. I don't know. She's great. Yeah. Love uh, Jenna. I've definitely spent a fair amount of time on Jenna Marbles videos. Okay. she's hilarious. And that's where I learned about soap cutting. <laughs>
0: wow. It reminds me of all these like oddly sad, like when you see someone cut meat, it's like, whoa, yeah. this, is, whoa. this is great. Like mind I, I could, blown. Yeah. All right. Can you tell us about Just the general basics of what your life was like growing up. I understand your parents were skiers and you were born in Colorado. Is that right?
1: I was born in Colorado. And then when I was seven, seven and a half, we all moved to New Hampshire. I have one brother. He's two and a half years older. And that's like my parents being skiers. That's how I got into skiing. We did it as a family sport. And being in Colorado, it was pretty easy. You just step out the back door and there's a whole bunch of mountains where you can go to. So both my brother and I learned how to ski. My parents taught us. And I guess for both of us, our passions just sort of developed from there. He started in the racing program before I did. I think he was probably six or seven when he started in the racing program. But at that age, it's not very, very serious. It's just like, I don't know, fun races and weekend races and that kind of stuff. But you can sort of, it's like a feeder style program into the ski club, which feeds you into the next level, whatever level of high school racing you want to do. Yeah. And that eventually goes to the US ski team, maybe. So that's kind of, my brother started and I just did everything that he did in life. <laughs> and I think maybe even more than him, I fell in love with racing. I loved training. I loved practicing. I loved the feeling of getting faster and I loved racing. So yeah, when I was six or seven, same age as when he started, I started racing and just kind of went from there. <laughs>
0: it's gone pretty well since then. You yeah. started on skis when you were two years old, Michaela?
1: Yeah, two and a half, probably. Two, oh, okay. Two Huge and a half. difference. Yes. Yeah, well, these no, okay. <laughs> it is a big difference because these. It, it used to be like, that was early for my generation, okay. not my generation, but like my age group, that was early. Two and a half was, I mean, it was, that was good. Now kids are starting like one and a half, And kids are coming up to me these days, like, I'm such a big fan. When did you start racing or when did you start skiing? And I'm like, I don't know, two and a half maybe. And they're like, oh, I started when I was two or I started when I was one and a half. I'm like, cool. (laughs) Cool.
0: Gosh, that is nuts. Putting a one year old on the slopes, that's next level.
1: Yeah. Well, and they say it as if it was their choice, too. You know, (laughs) they're like, I started when I was one and a half. I was committed to
0: this. Yeah, Yeah. That's hilarious.
1: Yeah. I started when I was two and a half. My first run of my life was in my driveway. On just a pair of teeny plastic skis.
0: So I'm a snowboarder, Michaela, and I <laughs> I go I go <laughs> out west once. Wow. Okay. The judge. I'm kidding. Is... No, look,
1: I will hold it against <laughs> you. I actually have no problem with that at all. I know there's like a skier snowboarder thing, and that reaction that I just gave—it was more of a joke than anything. Uh, Probably we don't know each other well I've... enough. To be
0: honest, <laughs> okay. so uh, that's funny. But here's the thing. I mean, I go to these. We go out skiing like ten days a year. And I show up to the slopes and the skiers, they're intimidating people. Like yeah. they got, they always look way cooler than everybody else. They got like the long neon coats and they're always, whatever,
1: yeah, whatever they have.
0: It's like a, yeah. what's the ski culture? I'm sure it's different with like the slalom and the yeah professional level, but what's the culture well, like?
1: I'd say it's definitely, it sort of depends. You have like your free skiers. Yes sort of freestyle skiers or all mountain skiers and those are sort of separate cultures even yeah then you have your kind of more alpine style like ski racers I mean at the level that I'm at now I would say there's, it's a great atmosphere. Like my competitors, I actually see a lot of them as my friends as well. Mm -hmm. We go up on any given race and we're like chatting at the start or in between runs or something. And even on the podium, you know, you congratulate the person who wins or the podium athletes. And for anybody else who had a disappointing day, it's sort of like, you know, I feel for you. I've been there and Mm -hmm. it's pretty supportive. And that's been really cool because I do think like at a younger age, there was I mean, there's always jealousy, yeah. but it was almost like more drama. And mm-hmm. the older you get, you sort of like cut out all the drama. And because the drama doesn't help you get to the top level, it just kind of holds you back. So when you look at anybody, and I think this might be the same for all sports. I mean, you might be able to tell me with football, but it seems like there's always some level of drama. But it's less as you get better and you keep climbing up the ranks and you're like, oh, wow. Now it's it's more respect and... Less of all the shenanigans that goes on that you know you could do without.
0: Yeah, it's such a good point. I feel like there's this misconception that, well, like, when you're in high school, it's this idea of competition that you have to do poorly if I'm going to do well. Or yeah, like exactly. Vice versa. And I got to
1: tear you down.
0: Yes, like mm-hmm. only one of us can make it. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. But when you get to a certain level, you realize, hey, everybody's made such huge sacrifices. We all have the same goal, yes, but like at the end of the day, there's only so much you can control and that's really like yeah it's not this jealousy as you said so yeah. I think the competitive environment gets healthier yeah although there, there's well,
1: there's are. still all this stuff that like stuff goes on that's kind of drama filled and <laughs> yeah. like frustrating but yeah I mean for me when I was younger it was always I was tended to win most of my races and my kind of peers or even teammates or competitors they just say like who was in second place today because whoever was in second really won because Michaela doesn't count. So I'd sort of be like, you've literally just given up. (laughs) And it was sort of their way of like making a joke or something. But this was kind of a thing that went on. People would be like, slow down, Michaela. They're just joking, you know. But at some point I was like, maybe that's not, the joke you want to be making because it's at some level it's like subconsciously tearing you apart or tearing you down a little bit and it's only hurting yourself because I don't really care (laughs) like this is why we're here yeah and then yeah definitely you get kind of make your way up the ranks and everybody's like they see the best and they're like well I'm just gonna work harder and try to be that that's awesome that's kind of what I've noticed but
0: you were talking about drama and and all these things that go on when I prepare for these interviews I always kind of look for dirt any (laughs) negative thing I could find yeah I gotta give it to you the only, the only videos I've seen, the only information is like, all right, this girl is super talented. She works so hard, and she's just like a bunch of fun. There's no dirt on you, so you know, I kind of took the fun out of it. But that's credit to you, uh, honestly. Keep
1: digging, buddy. There's dirt. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just um, kidding.
0: <laughs> so you went to Burke Ski School, which yeah. seems like it is the hub of all these legendary skiers. Yeah. What was your experience like there?
1: It was amazing. I mean, for a while, when I was boarding at the academy it was like, that's what I considered home. Hmm. It's a school ski academy of when I was there, it was like somewhere between 60, 65 at student athletes total from eighth grade through maybe even starting seventh grade through high school, PG's. So it's a small school and a class is no bigger than nine people like 10 or 12 at the most and you become really like family with your peers with your teammates your classmates you help each other with homework you watch movies together you go eat together you go you know we all eat at the dining hall and it's it just feels like a very close-knit community and for me at the time i started to ski at Burke when i was 12. And that's when I still lived in New Hampshire. And the reason I started skiing there was because my brother needed a place to continue skiing when he went to high school. And he wanted to ski at a little bit of a higher level or a little more focused level than normal high school racing. So we were looking into academies. So Taylor started boarding at the academy and my mom and I went and like rented a condo and I homeschooled and skied every day with a group And that was slightly older than I was, and it was just a group of all guys. And I was always trying to, like, that was one thing for me, something that always pushed me was training and racing against the guys. Mm -hmm. At a younger age, you train and sometimes race co-ed races. Now we don't race co-ed, but I still am motivated by being able to train with the guys because the level of performance is just, it's so high. And the focus and the drive, it's, it's so... Hide. You get that with girls too, but not quite at the same level, I'd say. Mm -hmm. And that's something that's always driven me. But anyway, so we actually moved back to Colorado when I was 14. And I spent like the beginning of the winter skiing back at my original ski club in Colorado. And I was like, I miss Burke so much. I have to go there. That's my destiny. So I ended up right around Christmas. I think I left Christmas morning, got on a plane, flew back to the East Coast, and then I boarded at Burke for the rest of my high school years. And like I said, it was just amazing. It was such an amazing community and
0: so at fourteen you were drawn you like you said to your parents, I want to go back to Burke because
1: I think it was they more kind of read the signs. I don't even think I really knew I missed Burke so much. I missed the people there, but also just the feel I missed my coach, Kirk. He was one of my favorite coaches that I've had. And I don't know, I, I guess my mom says that I got into like a mild depression yeah. while I was home. And she was like, something's wrong. And when we talked about it, I said, I miss Burke, even though I was still skiing and Colorado is beautiful and sunny every day. And it's a great place to be. And the club was awesome. And my coaches were great, but I just like, there's kind of a piece of me missing when I wasn't at Burke. So she asked me and I said, I miss Burke. And she was sort of like, well, we got to get you back there then. And of course they have the option to, you can live off campus with your parents, but most people bored at the academy. So that's what I did and met my best friend who's still my best friend and all of the kind of the people you meet, you just it's not that you're friends for life, but you're just, you're with them, your family. Yeah. And it's sort of like you can leave and then get back together. And it's like, you never missed a beat. And I don't know, it was a special place. And I mentioned my coach. I love the coaches that I worked with there. The whole experience was really positive.
0: I've gotten to speak with some people who have achieved some amazing things. And it seems like one common thread between them is at an early age, or, or maybe it could even be later on, but everybody has this like strong vision of what they want to accomplish or what they want their life to look like. And then they like take the steps to actually make that happen. And they make commitments that they stick to. So like you going to Burke and then going back to Burke, because you felt like that was really where you were able to thrive at such a young age was like, I mean, the commitment level there is awesome. And one thing so I've gotten introduced to the gymnastics world a little bit, obviously. And <laughs> I was always so kind of skeptical of the concept of these parents move their families across the country so that their little seven-year-old daughter could train at the best gym possible, which, you know.
1: it's tough. That's a tough concept.
0: Yes. I know. It's a lot of pressure. But – there is something obviously to the idea that if you're in such a competitive environment and you're around all these people who are equally as ambitious and equally as devoted, there's going to be so many good things that come of that. And yeah, you know, obviously, if you're following the best coaches, that's great, but it's like this two sided coin of work life balance and like mm-hmm. pushing that line versus like really pursuing your goals. So it's just like this. Yeah. I don't know what the it's,
1: balance is there. Yeah. I find it a, really tough to yeah. understand how on the one hand, an entire family can uproot for the sake of a single athlete. Right. Or the potential to be an athlete. Like at seven years old, you don't know. Right. But, and I find it also interesting, like especially with gymnastics, because I think that happens more often than maybe in skiing. Mm-hmm. It seems like there's sort of a handful or maybe even just one or two like of the very top level gymnastics facilities in the country or maybe even the world. And that's if you want to be a gymnast, that's where you go. And you have to do it young. Yeah whereas you know in ski racing there's mountains most places there's not snow everywhere but you kind of find yourself in a place with snow and you might be able to access some good training you do have to move around a little bit colorado is a great place to be california there's up in the mountains there's some great programs and then the east coast has some great programs as well but i don't it's interesting what you said like a family moving someplace i do think something about the pressure that that might bring to an athlete that's 7 years old or 8 years old yeah on the one hand it's pressure because at that point maybe they can't see another path but The discipline that you learn, the time management, all of the things that you learn by participating in a sport at a level of commitment, it's like lessons that you're going to take with the rest of your life, whether you continue in that sport or not. So, you know, it's like being the best you can be no matter what you're doing. And maybe that's not easy to understand at that age, but, you know, it's going to benefit those kids in one way or another. And Like as a parent, you're thinking, okay, we're making this move so you can be an Olympic gold medalist. But... If you don't, and you, <laughs> you know, and you end up doing just fine anyway, I think that's kind of the point of being a parent, right? Is just yeah. to make sure your kids are happy and healthy in life and doing something, and not necessarily to be the Olympic gold medalist.
0: Right. It seems like the competitiveness runs in your family. I listened to some interviews with your mom, and like she's, yeah. <laughs> she's a go-getter, and she's also your coach. Is that right?
1: Uh-huh. <laughs> she is. Funny story. Okay. I'll tell the funny story after if that's okay. <laughs>
0: okay. I was just going to ask, how is that relationship? Because I've talked with other people and like, on the one hand, it's a huge advantage because they know you like nobody else. But on the other, it's like, golly, that could, yeah. you know, like, can I get away? Can I, can we just press yeah. pause for a second? Yeah. Sometimes? Yeah.
1: I think the toughest thing is that, you know, as my mom, she's supposed to love me unconditionally. Um, <laughs> and she does. She's the most loving, caring person I have ever met. But she's also like the hardest worker and the most motivated person I've ever met. And the only time we ever run into issues is when I don't separate the mother from coach, like Mm -hmm. kind of boxes. Yeah. If I let those two mix together and then like when she's on the hill telling me I need to do something better with my turns, with my technique, with anything and i take that as like a sign that she doesn't love me anymore yeah <laughs> and that like that can be tough and i'm definitely over the years i've worked through that and kind of you just learn in certain places, like when we're working, when we're training, don't take those things personally. And then if I'm at a point in my day, if I'm overtired or whatever, and I am taking it personally, then I just need to communicate and say like, now you have to back off a little bit because this is hurting more than it's helping. Right. So you kind of develop better communication. But in ski racing, it's very uncommon to have a mom around. It's more common to have Fathers around there's been definitely some dad coaches that that travel with their sons or or daughters or whatever, but it's common to have a significant other around boyfriend girlfriend, but my mom's pretty much the only one I mean I'm not sure exactly why that is, but people mm. definitely question it, and at this point we're sort of like I mean it's working <laughs> yeah,
0: <So>. clearly <laughs> I imagine you both have to be so mature to make that work I mean one of the biggest benefits I feel like of being an athlete is you're always getting critiqued mm-hmm. and it can be so hard to separate the criticism from yeah. when you're get coaching. It's not, Personal when they're saying, Hey, you need to work on this. This right. is the weakness of yours. It's like really, you you're trying to make that, you better. Yes. But how mature can you yeah. be in separating that is like such a challenge.
1: Well, and like some days you're more mature than others, right? Some days yeah. you want to just like look at your coach and just give the sass right back to him, yeah. And some days I do.
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: They sort of have a pretty good gauge of like how to coach me based off the level of sass that I'm giving back to them. Funny. That's so good. <laughs> I don't even have to say it. They just know. <laughs>
0: that is awesome okay so you know i've been doing all this research and multiple times people have said you've produced the most successful skiing seasons period point blank ever in history (laughs) that's that is like wild hats off to you i'm curious to hear from you though you've won olympic golds world championships all these races what are you most proud of it doesn't even have to be an award, but what are you most proud of in your career?
1: Oh my gosh, that's a.
0: I just took it deep. I'm sorry. I just. That's
1: <laughs> a humdinger. <laughs> <As> a, <laughs> you know, it's really hard to pick a single moment because there's like so many things flash through my mind. And you said it doesn't have to be a result. Oftentimes, normally when I'm asked this question, that person is looking for a result. Yeah. I think more often than not, it's not a result. It's like a training day that. I made some kind of a breakthrough or, you know, had a pretty tough crash and I was able to come back from it and still go out and take another run and get over the hump of feeling like I just crashed really hard. You know, I'd prefer to go inside and just, tone it down for the rest of the day, get over the mental hump of going back to the top and taking another run and finishing on a good note. Or maybe like four years ago, it's gonna be four years ago this winter, I tore my MCL in my knee and I didn't Mm. need surgery, but I was out for two months and I did have to go through the whole like rehab process and everything. I had enough of a taste of like what a very significant injury feels like Mm -hmm. to know that I have it in me to come back from that. And that's one thing, like, kind of people have said about me is something I'm lacking in my career is a significant injury. And I sort of.
0: Lacking in your career?
1: Exactly. What? I know. It's a very strange thing to say, but a lot of ski racers have to deal with surgeries, not only like broken bones, but ACL tears, knee reconstructions Hmm. the whole lot of it's normally revolves around the knee but there's back injuries there's head injuries there's things that take athletes out for much longer than two months you know Mm -hmm. and that's in every sport but I have been maybe lucky and definitely part of it is preparation but I haven't had a significant like nine months to two-year injury and I'm grateful for that obviously but you know that's something people sort of say like well We'll see if she can stand the test of time and the test of injuries. And I used to think like if I get injured, I'm probably going to stop because I don't know if I can be without ski racing for nine months in an injured capacity, not being able to walk, having to use crutches, everything that that entails. And I sort of went through it maybe a shorter time period, a lesser scale, but one thing I learned about myself and something I am proud of is to know that if I face that I can't handle it, you know? Yeah. That was definitely something that kind of sparked another fire in me, I'd say.
0: I want to stop for a second and give a shout out to Himalaya. Himalaya is my favorite app to listen to podcasts on, and not only do they have a truly beautiful interface, They also have great search and discover features to help you find new shows. And then they also have some really creative and unique ways for you to help support creators and interact with those creators. So thank you, Himalaya. Be sure to check them out and follow me if you get the chance. Today's episode is brought to you by ZipRecruiter. As we discussed before, Sean and I are in the process of hiring and we are finding out how difficult that process can be. It's super time consuming. You can go through dozens, if not hundreds of applications. And we've recently found ZipRecruiter, and thank goodness because it has made the process so much easier. If you want to find out more about ZipRecruiter, you can visit ziprecruiter.com forward slash east. The way it works is ZipRecruiter sends your job to over 100 of the web's leading job boards, but they don't stop there. With their powerful matching technology, ZipRecruiter scans thousands of resumes to find people with the right experience and invites them to apply to your job. As applications come in, ZipRecruiter analyzes each one and spotlights the top candidates so you never miss a great match. ZipRecruiter is so effective that four out of five of employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate through the site within the first day. And right now, my listeners can try ZipRecruiter for free at ZipRecruiter.com forward slash east. That's ZipRecruiter.com forward slash E-A-S-T. Zip Recruiter really is the smartest way to hire. Well, one thing I feel like has contributed to your resiliency. I keep seeing these workouts. Some of the stuff <laughs> you guys do as skiers, I saw you doing this thing where you're standing on the plate and it's like shaking. I've never seen it <laughs> yeah. like, I'm like, what the heck is What it?
1: is that? <laughs> yeah. There's a lot of contraptions. I know.
0: <laughs> but you know, work- go ahead.
1: No, I don't know. I just, some of the stuff is sort of like, you know, you always post the things that look the most impressive. (laughs) I have actually started to get into the habit of posting the things that look the least impressive just to sort of make fun of myself. Yeah. Because I do feel like, you know, I'm posting a back squat on my max weight or something. And I'm like, oh, look at me. I can do a rep of this. And versus being like, wow, I can do 20 sit-ups. Ha! I don't know. It just makes it more human. But it's fun to post the cool stuff too.
0: Well, what's cool is, Obviously, you get a lot of attention because of the success that you have, but it seems like you legitimately are best known for your work ethic and like you know you work out five hours a day in the gym and hats off to you I'm just over here pumped. your answer to what you're most proud of and it being potentially like a training session or overcoming whatever adversity I don't know if you were like this I grew up with like Michael Jordan posters in my room with like inspiring yeah. quotes and I feel like the concept that you just conveyed with your answer deserves to be on one of those posters like it was just oh, well, well, you. well answered
1: <laughs> thank you
0: I'm curious so I just I don't know if you've seen the movie Free solo with
1: oh her. my gosh you saw it oh yeah it's so good it's crazy he's crazy he don he's crazy wall is also great but free solo is like next level what the heck
0: well this is my thought i'm watching your races and are you wondering
1: I, about my amygdala
0: are you insane is my question <laughs> like you, you have to relate to that on some level because it's like yeah wow
1: no i've been talking about to a bunch of my peers or teammates or whatever about this. I do think with anything that you do in life, there's levels of like, what they talk about in Free Solo is at what point does his amygdala take over? And like the amygdala being the part of the brain that controls your fear and controls your emotions. And because he had grown up all his life doing this kind of insane climbing stuff and free soloing, then you you take on something like El Cap and that's another level but it's what he's been doing his entire life but for sure if you take him to a movie theater and watch like some kind of movie that for me I'd be like oh my gosh this is like I'm on the edge of my seat he's going to be like meh you know that's just takes so much more to trigger his amygdala hijack for me for ski racers i think there's a level of that definitely not as high as Alex or many other maybe extreme sports athletes but Ski racing isn't actually considered an extreme sport and i'm sort of like hello (laughs) It should be (laughs) Yeah For whatever reason, I don't know. It's I don't know why it's not but anyway, you know There takes a certain level of the acceptance of the risk. It's not not having fear for me I have fear some of my competitors maybe don't have as much fear as I do actually
0: What would you say you're fearful of?
1: I'm fearful of getting hurt. I'm fearful of dying. I mean ski racers have died if the safety netting along the side of the hill isn't set up right or they're just going so fast they blow right through it and hit a tree. And even recently there's been several deaths. They shake the ski community because you realize just how fragile life is and we're playing with that balance every single day. And I'm probably one of the athletes who is maybe the most methodical and the most like risk oriented. I'm always aware of the risk and that's maybe one of the things that has helped me stay relatively injury free for most of my career so far but you know it's also the thing i'm not afraid to admit that i have that fear Mm. and i think that helps me whereas some athletes you know the fear overpowers their will to actually do what they have to do to win the race or to ski fast yeah but it is interesting that watching free solo it opened up a whole can of worms of questions that i was like I wonder what my amygdala look looks like. Maybe I should do a brain scan.
0: <laughs> yeah, I'd be really interested to see because you know, watch been... the
1: whole thing light up, and you're like, "How is she doing?" <laughs> yeah, <laughs> <laughs> we—I uh,
0: f- I forget what resort it is at in Colorado. It's like Double Eagle is a run, now It's or something Eagle. I don't know what it's called. They use it for racing. I went I'm down.
1: Terrible with run names, just so you know.
0: All good. I, yeah, I, I don't know why I even tried. Um, <laughs> but it's—you look. You're at the top of the run. You look down and you can't see the slope and the runs that you guys do are that same feeling of like i know you've been doing it your whole life and this is what you're used to but there's this feeling always i imagine of you just committing to going for it yeah
1: Yeah. and it's funny because it's like every single race i have a similar feeling some races are i'm more confident than others but i get into the starting gate and it's every racer we go one after another and we have our start numbers so if I'm bib five, I'm going after bib four. And you have a 10 second window of when you're actually allowed to start. So you're standing in the starting gate and the start one's in front of your shins. Mm. You see the timer counting down. It's somewhere between a minute and a half or two minutes along. And you can kind of see like, now I have this much time. Now I have this much time. And the start ref next to you is saying that 30 seconds. And then at 10, he says 10. And then he counts down five, four, three, two, one. And then in that period of time, you have this 10 second window where you can go. And you can sort of choose to go. And for me, it's always, it's, he says go or he says one or whatever. And I'm like, take a breath and then launch out. Because if I wait a second longer, I won't go. It's like, yeah, I mean, some races are a little flatter at the start. You can see the slope. It's not as intimidating. Some races, you're like, um, yep, I'm just falling off the face of the earth. This is more of a controlled fall than really skiing. And it's on ice. So I don't know how this is going to go.
0: Oh, my, my palms are sweating over here. Just, so just
1: are mine.
0: <laughs> That's funny. I was, so again, I've been watching your race. And I think it was the one this March where you won the World Cup. Congratulations. Medal. Thank you. And you went down this run, literally, you know, I've, I've watched skiing before <laughs> and like you didn't slip an edge at all. You're just gripped in and going down. It was like a perfect run. I imagine. I mean, from, from, the, from the innocent eye, it looked amazing. Are you big into the physics of the whole sport, though? Because I know subconsciously it plays a part, but do you? Yeah,
1: so I am in a way, I have yet to take a physics class, but I'm actually really interested in that because I think there's a lot of physics that plays into skiing. Mm -hmm. Probably really anything you can apply physics to, but the forces that you have to produce in skiing and the way that you produce them, the way that you have to push on your skis at one point in the turn, and then kind of almost let the power of your skis take over for another point in the turn and how that produces a faster turn. And you know, it boils down to hundreds of a second or tenths of a second. And when you actually measure that out, it's tiny. I mean, the amount that people win races by is like how is that even possible, yeah like what did I really do somewhere on the mountain that gave me that tenth of a second? You know what I mean? Yeah. it is interesting, and there's a lot that plays into the fastest turn. I think I have like I have an understanding of it from a physical point like i've I've done it, but mm-hmm. i I'd, I'd like to understand it on more of an actual scientific level, and that's something that I am interested because yeah, i mean it's we're always talking about technique, yeah how can you edge your skis in a better way to just be a little bit faster and use your skis less as a as a ski but more as like an extension of your foot and it is interesting it's you can get down into the details of it and it's boring yeah. for everybody else who doesn't get it and i could talk forever but yeah you'll lose I, followers
0: <laughs> i uh- I studied uh, civil engineering. So the geek part of me is like super interested in that because skiing, it's just like, as with any sport, but it's like such a battle between physics and like your equipment and whatever. I see you are a major advocate for unicycling and (laughs) yeah, I guess you're, are you good at it or is this something?
1: I'm okay. (laughs) I used to be really good. I used to be able to unicycle for like two miles straight. What? Uh, yeah, in, my, in the house that we lived in, New Hampshire. My brother could do it first. We had, this was amazing. This is like another little tidbit of my past that is like somehow played into my future, I guess. I could join the circus. <laughs> <I've>, <laughs> I could join the fake circus. Let's no. say that. Okay. When I was in second or third grade, my school, the elementary school that I went to in New Hampshire, had like every two weeks they would have a different, whatever, like topic for PE. One topic or one block of time, we had the circus come and train us how to juggle, how to unicycle, how to do the, I think they're called devil sticks or something. how to kind of walk on a tightrope or that kind of stuff. And it was all very basic, but I picked up juggling and I picked up unicycling and both my brother and I did this class. They did it for the whole school. And we came home and went to my parents were like, we need to buy unicycles because we need to practice because this is going to be really fun and we want to be able to do it. So we got a unicycle, we got one. <laughs> that fit both of us at the time and then my brother grew and he needed a bigger one and I got the one all to myself but there was this loop around our house that was two miles long approximately and we could it was like kind of hilly and we could unicycle around it I don't think I could do that anymore but it's fun
0: I'm not gonna lie that was a uh
1: longer answer than longer answer. In-
0: <laughs> 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 but it's it's perfect I mean your passion just shows through about this.
1: so sorry
0: um are you <laughs> <laughs> are you ready for some fan questions yes okay all right here we go let me pull some good ones okay daisy satterfield wants to know what your favorite ice cream flavor is
1: <laughs> i go for a really good mango sorbet or cookie
0: dough mm, i'm down for both of those things mango <laughs> is it not sherbet? mango sherbet. is it That's which right. one is it which one is? i
1: don't it? uh I mean, sorbets are good, but I think sherbet is more of an ice cream. Okay. Sorry. Sorbet is like frozen ice. I don't know. All right. It's frozen ice.
0: This is good. This is important sorry. things to cover. <laughs> uh, Leszek wants to know what type of gloves do you wear when you ski? What brand?
1: I wear Royce gloves. Okay. They're super duper extra padded. I actually had extra padding put into them to protect my thumbs because I have have thumb issues. <laughs> doesn't matter. Interesting.
0: Okay. <laughs> you interesting. Don't need that answer. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> Let's see. Victoria Sugarak wants to know, what do you do after competitions?
1: Uh, normally, I try to take a nap as soon as possible.
0: I'm down for that. That's
1: like, well, get food because you can't really eat that well during the races. But yeah, then take a nap.
0: Is that a nervous thing or...
1: It's a little bit of both. It's like kind of a nervous thing. It's also like what food is available at the races. Yeah, You're kind of limited to the hospitality food of the race organizers. And sometimes it's amazing. And sometimes it's like bring your own PB&J.
0: Gotcha. <laughs> Interesting. This is something that I'm, I'm really curious about. This is a personal question. Are you pursuing a career in music or guitar? or One or <laughs> of your big goals, it seems like, is to be karaoke. Like,
1: <laughs> Yeah, I'd say bucket list item is to do karaoke at some point in my life.
0: <laughs> You've never done it.
1: I've never done karaoke. At, not in I had a karaoke machine when I was young and I would do karaoke in my room alone, but no, I've never done like a organized karaoke. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> I came really close this spring, but the, it, the karaoke night shut down before I got the courage to do it.
0: No you okay. yeah. might have to come to nashville they got karaoke nonstop. Down
1: there. yeah i don't think i'm really at that level i need to do it someplace where i know that everybody is worse than i am i'm not like the person who's gonna go out and make a fool of myself like i want to be good
0: oh you're trying to get David a record yeah i, I, I want to
1: be i want to be someone they make a movie about <laughs> just kidding i'm totally kidding
0: okay yeah. <laughs> just, this is yeah. great i don't
1: want to embarrass myself you know
0: But you play guitar.
1: I play guitar a little bit, play piano a little bit. I can't read music, but great because, you know, ultimate guitar tabs. And then I play piano by ear, sort of not at a very high level. But I love music. I don't know. I think music just should be in everybody's life all the time and something that calms me down and I enjoy a lot.
0: Do you have a go-to playlist before races?
1: I do. Every year I kind of update my race playlist. I try not to make it too long because (laughs) then it's just like overwhelming the amount of songs but it's pretty much any song that no matter what day no matter my mood anytime it comes on like if I have my music on shuffle anytime this song comes on I will never skip over it and it's like if there's a song that exists like that then it's gonna be on my race day playlist there's definitely a lot of Eminem on there
0: whoa love that (laughs) yeah (laughs) Yeah. is this new Ed Sheeran Justin Bieber song on the repeat or
1: um, no, it's not.
0: <laughs> okay. Some,
1: songs I ha- Some songs I have to listen to a couple of times to get into. And then all of a sudden I'm like, why did I not like this before? But you know, there's like Taylor Swift on there too. There's Ellie Goulding. There's like a bunch of your kind of top hits, whatever of, of this day and age. But then like Kaigo. I feel like Kaigo or Avicii or Martin Garrix, like you can't go wrong with those kinds of songs. Good, like pump up beat. I'm not a huge hard rock or death metal fan. So that's like probably the only thing that you won't find. But there's even some songs on there. Like Paramore had some songs back in the day that I like. So I don't know. I'm an all, all genre music lover.
0: What was the concert you went to most recently?
1: The last one I went to was, I think, Imagine Dragons. Mm. That was last summer. And Want it was so Imagine. good.
0: Gosh, Have
1: you ever been to Red Rocks?
0: I've been there not during a concert yeah
1: it's like because it's I mean it's a place to go it's sort of a sightseeing and workout place as well but it was amazing in concert and they came up like into the crowd and they were performing right in front of us and I had actually been lucky enough to meet those guys at another time and I was like oh my gosh I know them personally this is so amazing
0: that's great
1: (laughs) and that just it was a great great concert so
0: that's awesome you have been vocal about the gender pay gap. Skiing is one of the rare sports where mm-hmm. it doesn't exist or mm-hmm. women get paid more.
1: Yeah, there's no pay gap in the prize money. Sponsorship money might be slightly different, but that's like a different topic. Mm-hmm. Prize money for the World Cup, fifth Alpine World Cup circuit is equal men to women.
0: How long has it been like that?
1: I think it's been like that forever. Honestly, since they established prize money in skiing, since it became professional, I guess, it's kind of always been like that. It's never really shown a light on it because for the most part, I think the men have always out-earned the women based on the results. And the last two, maybe three years, I've been the number one or top of the prize money list. and. (laughs) thank you and (laughs) it's it's awkward to talk about because you know on the one hand it's super cool and it brings attention to the sport and I love talking about it because I'm like you know come on ski racing woohoo but I I feel like the sport deserves a round of applause in that sense it's not so much about like what I've done to fix it but I do like to talk about it because I think it's something really cool
0: yeah I would encourage you I mean, you talk about it so humbly and you are in like a unique position. And so I think you've stewarded that well. So hats off to you. I mean, it's like, it's like, it's responsibility. I think you've approached it well. So it is super rare that a sports like that, like, uh, obviously there's so much discussion about it. Sean and I were actually going to go to the world cup, the women's world cup this summer to uh, bring like awareness to that issue. It's kind of interesting. Mm -hmm. So I was watching a 2013 interview you did with David Letterman. It's like you've been doing, your career has been amazing. Like <laughs> amazing. That was and so cool. I can I, <laughs> yeah. I
1: was so nervous.
0: <laughs> I can't imagine. You were what? 17 when that happened? 18?
1: Yeah. 17 I think.
0: That oh. was Sean's favorite interview. Until I interviewed Sean, David Letterman was her favorite interview.
1: He was so great. Man. Yeah. yeah,
0: was <laughs> <awesome>. That's fun. <laughs> But I can't wait to see what's next for you. I am curious, what goals do you have within skiing or without?
1: I mean, right now, most of my goals are very much oriented around skiing. And it's sort of like just continuing. You know, there's not like one thing that I feel like I want to accomplish that I haven't already. It's just continuing to get better and continuing to like my main events are slalom and giant slalom and the last couple years i've started racing more speed more downhill and super g and i've even i've won my first downhill i won several super g's last year but to continue to race in more speed and to like one big goal of mine is to find a balance where i can race in all six disciplines that exist in ski racing and not lose out on any one of them, if that makes sense. Yeah. It's a full schedule. It's a crazy schedule. And it's like, I mean, the difference between slalom and downhill, sort of the quickest event versus the highest speed event, it's like they're different sports, essentially. Hmm. So it's kind of, it's almost like a puzzle, like doing a Sudoku and just trying to figure that out with my team has been interesting, stressful, but very rewarding as well. So that's a goal, like kind of continuing on this path in skiing. And as far as life, one of my goals is sort of to figure out what I want to do <laughs> after skiing. But mm. I'm, I'm actually interested in how you have sort of developed your career because it seems like you've just sort of in a way dabbled in everything, like, or maybe dabble isn't the right word, but... How, like from experience, how do you decide, you know?
0: Yeah. I think it is so hard for athletes to transition out of sport. And fortunately for me, I was like forced to because I my football career just wasn't panning out. I'm a big believer that you just got to do something and you'll figure out whether that's closer to yeah. anything that you want to do or it's not what you want to do at all. So I like signed up to be an Uber driver, you
1: know. Yeah. You just kind of got out there and started doing stuff.
0: Yeah. When I first got cut, I was like super bummed out. I don't want to say I was like depressed, but it was not a a great. Yeah. And so anyway, this is my brother actually has an organization called Hope Sports. Like he was an Olympic level cyclist. And when he ended up not pursuing his sport anymore, it was like, as an athlete, you're just fully committed to this one thing. Yeah. What do you do? It's crazy. (laughs) Yeah. It's scary. And you feel like there's no transferable skills. That you've learned like really to a certain right. extent, you're like, okay, well, how is bench pressing a lot of weight gonna help me <laughs> with what
1: I'm right. and how is this insane level of commitment to spending time in the gym ever gonna help me in life? Yeah. That like most people would literally anybody aside from a professional athlete is like not allowed to do that and be okay mentally right. stable.
0: <laughs> right. Yeah.
1: And then we're expected to do it. So
0: No doubt, "Hmm,
1: this isn't
0: good. I'm just, you know, when you are done skiing, I'll be the first person to buy your album. I'm just pumped for (laughs) for whatever.
1: Uh, You Uh, really, really should be careful saying that. (laughs) You just haven't heard it. Oh man,
0: it's so funny. So in one of your in one of these videos I watched, you like there was I don't know maybe five seconds of you playing guitar and singing, and I was like. I actually had a similar thing happen to me where a film crew came and they put this on CBS sports yeah. and they played just long enough to make you think you're good. That I was good, yeah. but just short enough that like you couldn't find out that I was bad. So I think it's I'm not like, trying to say that that happened a
1: second before the voice crack. <laughs> <Yeah.
0: laughs> you like, thank you. Uh, but anyway, <laughs> speaking of things that you want to do after, and you actually alluded to this in the beginning There's so many skills that you learn as an athlete that do transfer outside of life. And so I'm curious, what are three things that you feel like you've learned through your skiing career, through all you've gotten experience with the celebrity that's come with it, with the trials that have come with it? What are three things that you've learned that could apply to the audience as a whole?
1: uh, It's hard to come up with three things and it's hard to come up with only three things. Yeah. I think the first thing would be that Whatever you're doing, you have to be passionate about it Hmm. because, you know, it's easy to say that obviously I'm lucky enough to be a ski racer to do the thing that I love to do professionally and to make a living doing it right now. But I would not be able to work as hard as I do and put in the effort and go through the struggles because really it's 99% struggle with, I mean, what everybody else sees in my life or in, I think in any professional athlete's life. Mm -hmm. the glamorous side like that's the only thing you see and that's only like one percent of the job (laughs) and that's like the frustrating thing is you want to like I want to share everything else and the work and the pain and the frustration and the the stress and logistically getting from race to race and the fact that my flight was just canceled and my bags are lost and I can't ski without my boots so now what do I do like all of this kind of stuff and managing all that and of course I have a team around me but I wouldn't do it if I wasn't passionate about it. Yeah. And I think probably most athletes can say the same. Most anybody who's at the top of whatever they do, they have to have the passion in order to continue to push the limits of what's possible in that thing. Yeah. I definitely believe that. Got to have the passion, got to have the fire. The second thing I think is kind of more from a marketing perspective, but one thing I learned right off the bat before I even really raced full-time on the World Cup was that it was actually a, like a talk about athletes and marketability and what that means and social media and how it plays a role in sponsorships mm-hmm. and all that. And just staying true to yourself always, always. And it sounds so cliche, but if you put on an act for even a second, then that it's sort of like this little lie that just develops and it, it splits off Like, here's your path going this way, just splits off another little avenue. And then part of you is, part of your energy is taken up kind of tending to this avenue and figuring out. And by the end, when you have all these different avenues going, like, which is you? And which do you want to figure out and continue down? Which path do you want to continue down? And something that's been really important for me and that I learned in this first talk was you just stick to your gut instinct and... Don't get like phased by the lights and the music and the action and the excitement of being a professional athlete because it can very quickly get you off track. And I'd like to think that I've tried to stay true to that.
0: It sounds like you're crying through that. <laughs> no, I-, <laughs> <laughs> I was like, wow, i tearing up.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't, but if I got you to cry, that would success.
0: Getting a little emotional. Um, in here.
1: <laughs> No, i <laughs> I'm really excited for this just cold to be over. (laughs) Anyway, my computer started moving again. And uh, I'd say the third thing is surround yourself with people that you love and you know will support you and you know are going to try to make you better.
0: Wow. Those are great, honestly.
1: (laughs) They were really long. (laughs)
0: Uh, No, really, really insightful. I am uh, really impressed by you and (laughs) you have brought a lot of good into the world just by like all these interviews doing. do and you have such a wonderful personality and, and you've made such a difference so thank you for that and, thank uh, you wow thank you thank you for taking the time to sit down with me next time you know I know I know you're pretty disappointed that Sean <laughs> couldn't join us so maybe no
1: no I, <laughs> some, I'm gonna I'm gonna meet her someday and this was amazing and I'm so I'm so grateful that yeah I'm really grateful too I'm super yeah. excited for this opportunity and someday we'll meet in person but for now I'll just watch your Instagrams
0: and <laughs> <Okay>. keep <chuckling. laughs> Awesome. Well, thank you. <laughs>
1: yeah,
0: thank you. If you haven't yet, please make sure that you subscribe to the podcast and leave a review if you feel called to. It really helps the show out. And um, I love having a new audience. I love hearing what you guys think. And I love having you come back every single week.